And then you look at Christianity and it just becomes this massive spider web of uh, like the best way to think about it. It's a piece of glass that one person hit at the top and it just cracked all the way down. Welcome to the Babel podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. All righty. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Babel Podcast. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Today's conversation is going to be a really good one. I can already tell because I am... <laughs> Jay, you just gave me a look like mm. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I am with uh, a really, really cool human. Uh, his name is J.D. Mathis. And uh, how I know J.D. is we went to Baylor together. He transferred in to Baylor uh, his last two years. So we got him in the second half of, of things and of our program. And. Yeah, he's he's had a lot of background with religion. He grew up Christian and went to private school all the way up until his uh, 10th grade year, where then he switched to public school and went to public school for the rest of high school and the beginning of college and then came back to a private Christian university for his last two years. So he kind of flip flopped there. Uh, So I know that he's got some interesting perspectives on religion in school, religion in life, and everything in between. So, JD, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, It is a pleasure, and I'm super excited as well. Yay! So, JD, can you kind of inform the people listening just a little bit about you um, and kind of, you said you went to private school all the way through uh, pretty much the majority of your of your uh schooling but were Mm -hmm. they private christian schools what kind of schools were they so i actually went to uh just one private school uh okay from whenever technically like k4 k3 uh all the way up until my ninth grade year and then i transferred into public school my 10th grade um got it got it and it was all the it was the exact same school because my mom taught there Mm. Uh, and so me and my two older brothers we were going there literally mainly because my mom worked there. She could just take us with her. And uh, instead of paying like however much the tuition was for the private school, I think she got a discount because she worked there. Yeah. So makes sense. they were okay with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in a private Christian school. Uh, and one thing that I, I tell people all the time, it's so many people look at me and they're like, that's not true. Private schools are so much worse than public schools. <laughs> and, and, and like, 
on multiple regards, unless you're going to one of the private schools where you're paying like a tuition fee of like $3,000 a year, uh-huh. uh, those private schools, you're like, oh, you're getting a fantastic education. Uh, you have quality time. You have quality sports. Like a mm-hmm. lot of stuff goes into the school. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one I was going to tuition, I don't think it was that high. I think tuition was only like 300 or 500 a year something like that. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a lot. Yeah. So it was a, it was a small private school. The thing is, is one person knew something, everybody knew. Mm. And so me being a teacher's kid as well, like my mom worked there, everybody, uh, one, I was always accused of getting the answers from my mom and never studying Mm. Two, uh, if ever I did anything wrong whatsoever, even if I looked at somebody and said, you're stupid, you know, like the smallest little thing, my mom Mm -hmm. would know about it five minutes later. Mm. And, and it became kind of like, I had to be a model student. I couldn't be mean to other kids. I talked a lot. Uh, and that was due to my ADHD. Mm-hmm. So like I would get in trouble for that. And then my mom would get onto me and then, but it wouldn't be anything bad. But like, if ever I, you know, hit a kid or called him stupid or told him to shut up or anything like that, then my mom knew. And then I was in a lot of trouble and yeah, things would always escalate. Yeah, so, for sure. You You couldn't have that separation that a lot of kids really growing couldn't. up in school had because you could act one way at school and then go home and try to get away with it. Um, but you didn't mm-hmm. really get that, I guess. I, I couldn't get away with anything. And then mm-hmm. also the fact of, so like whenever I got to junior high and high school, the, so the culture in a public school, because there are usually so many kids, mm-hmm. it's just kind of this big hodgepodge, this mixing melting pot of different people, cultures, ideas, and Mm -hmm. it can be a lot of fun because you can find your group. You can find a clique that you fit in with and you can move on with life and you can grow and, and, and mature emotionally, physically, and so many other ways Mm -hmm. in a private school where the entire school from K four all the way up to 12th grade is 350 kids. Mm. You don't really have that option where you can find a clique that you can fit in with or, you know, grow. And so it actually, the, the school itself was very sexually charged. Like, <laughs> I kid you not, my my seventh and eighth grade year, I'm pretty sure every girl in my class had had sex with every guy above our class. Um, Incredible. Yeah, like it just was uh, sex everywhere. Yeah. And like these kids could get away with it real easy because we're good Christian kids. We would never do that. Mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, like the year after I left, like two people got fully expelled because they got caught having sex during school hours in the school. Uh-oh. And it's like, well, so that's, that's private school. And like, whenever I got to public school, it was one major difference because I went from an entire school of 300 people to a class of just 1000. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just my 10th grade class. And I was like, uh, this is a lot more people. Yeah. And it was probably the best thing that happened to me too, because education wise, like pre-AP and AP classes actually challenging compared to private school, like mm. not, not so much because mm-hmm. private school, like science, perfect example, science, you don't hear about evolution ever in a private school. Mm. They don't, they don't talk about it. Uh, they mentioned really? evolution, an idea mentioned by Darwin who, and they never say explicitly he's an idiot, but throughout all of it, he's an idiot. Uh, and then they get to the end of that and they're like, all right, that was evolution. Somehow we're monkeys. Okay. You believe that, right? No. Great. And you moved on and it's like, well, there's a whole lot more to that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, 
private school, yeah. Uh, public school, great, great thing. I I do have to say one thing about private school that was incredibly similar to Baylor mm. was chapel. Oh, really? So Baylor does chapel like you know, it's a class you take, and it's like every Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday, whichever one you sign up for. Yeah. Uh, in private school, it was every Thursday morning for me. Hmm. So every Thursday morning, we'd get there, we would go to our first class, they'd take attendance, and then we would head to chapel. Yeah. And, you know, there'd be like praise and worship and there'd be like a sermon and all that jazz. And we'd go back to class and like all of our classes are shorter that day. It, essentially, it was like a weekly school homeroom, as it mm. were, okay. where we all kind of gathered up in a room and were like, yay, Jesus. And then <laughs> went back to class to finish out the rest of the day. Yeah. So. Yeah. So were you relieved to get like, it sounds like you were relieved to get out of that private school setting um, for all the reasons you listed for having to, you know, always answer to your mom and the the Mm -hmm. closeness of it all. And then move into public school where obviously it's not religion focused. It's just school focused and social focused. Um, What was that transition like for you at first? Was it weird? Um, it was weird in the fact that I was in a completely new, so like I mentioned to you before, Mm -hmm. I didn't know this at the time, but I am autistic. And so for me going into that new social setting, uh, I didn't talk to people, Mm -hmm. but at the same point in time, having absolutely no one know me was the best thing that could have helped me because so all right. So I don't know if you know this, my real name, have I ever told you my real name? Have I told you anything about that before? I don't know if you have actually. I, I don't think I have. I don't tell people this very often. Okay. So my real name, my real name is Jonathan mm-hmm. and I absolutely hate my real name due to the mm-hmm. fact that whenever I was going to the private school that I was going to, uh, the only thing that anyone who called me that name would also call me would be fat ass, dumb ass, asshole, piece of shit, so on and so forth. The list gets mm-hmm darker and darker and darker. And so they'd either call me John, Jonathan, or any of those other awful names. Mm-hmm. And so my eighth grade year, um, my seventh to eighth grade year, I realized that I was kind of adopting all of those names mm-hmm. and becoming an asshole. And then that's whenever I decided I wanted to go by JD. And so then mm-hmm. my ninth grade year, I was JD. Uh, and I finally got out of the private school and I got into public school and I became a completely different person because i didn't have to be an asshole like everybody called me mm. or a smart ass or rude or all these other things that that people started labeling me. So yeah. going into public school was probably the best thing that could have happened to me at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I went from being this really, um, oh, what word I'm looking for here, like satirical entity of just malcontent and hatred i went from being this really awful person to someone who actually could laugh and joke again yeah and and so like i don't all throughout baylor i was joking and i Mm. i credit that to the fact that my 10th 11th 12th grade year i was at a public school and could actually grow into me and and make fun of myself in a way where i didn't feel like i hated myself Mm. How interesting, like, I always find it so intriguing because I didn't go to any private school at all until Baylor. Baylor was the first mm-hmm. like private institution I ever attended. And my 
I mean, I, I know that in the public school setting, obviously, um, there's always the stereotype and the truth that people are like, people can be assholes. It's true of mm-hmm. any social setting you're in. People can be assholes. Kids can be assholes. Uh, kids yeah. can be mean. Kids can be bullies. And I just never like growing up and even still now, I never really thought that private schools could be that bad if they were so Christian and all of that. Like, aren't they supposed to be holier than thou and pious? Like, isn't that why people go to private schools? Um, so, I mean, that's always, that's what they want you to think though, right? That's kind of the, the image that they put out is that, oh, come to our school. We're more sophisticated. We're more X, Y, Z thing, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so intriguing to me to hear how awful these kids were to you um, to the point where you felt like you had to change your name. But also, um, I implore you or I implore you, I uh, applaud you for having the like awareness of yourself to to know that you were psychologically taking those things in and internalizing them and wanting to shift that at such a young age, like that's a really cool thing. Um, so I, I think that's really, really cool of you to take that step. That's awesome. I actually got pretty good at recognizing that, like essentially the power of words, like people always say, Mm -hmm. you know, words have power and so on and so forth. But I, for most of my life, I always just disregarded, disregarded it. And then it was like my seventh grade year. Um, so do you know Papa Roach, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> do you know the song my heart is a fist oh i don't know it super well but i have heard it before like i i don't know it well enough to so the there. first time i heard that song i started playing that song on repeat i absolutely love that mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. uh and i would sing it and i would hum it all the time and I, mm-hmm. i'm i'm in a christian school mind you so i can't even sing the words because literally <laughs> part of the song is my heart is a fist drenched in blood and then the bridge goes i see you on your cloud looking down i'm on my knees today but you don't notice me mm-hmm. right and, and so it's literally this kind of sacrilegious song saying that my heart is turning to stone because you've turned your back on me god mm-hmm. and and i realized one day that i was really cold in church and in chapel and everything else. And I was like, I think it's because of that song. And so Mm -hmm. I stopped listening to that song. I stopped humming it all the time. And I realized that I became more, more open and, and available to receiving not only like religious guidance, but also just friendship from other people because I didn't literally, my heart was no longer stone. I wasn't cold to other people and everything else. And I that's where I realized. And so then I started making those connections and I was like, wow, these people are calling me these things and I'm turning into that. (laughs) (laughs) So, wow. Yeah. That's insane. So did you still keep up your like Christian faith when you were in public school or did it kind of waver while you were out of that environment? How did that go for you? Uh, so I actually, um, pretty much for most of my life, all the way up until pretty recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always been involved in the praise team at my church and I've always been involved with churches, Mm -hmm. Um, going to camps, working at Christian camps and doing stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, And recently it's kind of shifted to where it's, yeah, I still consider myself a follower of Christ and a believer in the principles of Christianity, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to call myself a Christian 
because the church has become so corrupt and so different than what it should be. Yeah. And I don't want to associate myself with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a big, that's a big movement right now. Um, A lot of people who grew up in mm -hmm. the Christian church are starting to see that's like, Hey, the church building and the people in that building are kind of fucked up. So let's not do that. Um, Mm So, yeah, I, I definitely hear what you say when you say that. Um, I'm curious to hear because we had when I um, when I invited you on the podcast initially, we were talking on Instagram and um, and you mentioned that rightfully so that my podcast so far has been very female dominant in terms of perspectives. And um, because, I mean, it's I'm a girl. So like. Yeah. <laughs> I know and, and, I, and I talk to my ladies. I love it. Um, I'm going to be honest. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do too. Um, but the point of this podcast is to have perspectives from all sides, the, the male side, the transgender side, the mm-hmm. uh, non-binary side, like every side, I want everyone to, to share their stories. So I would love if you're open to sharing kind of some of the, like as a man growing up in the church, what were some of the things that you were taught that you now find problematic or some of the, just like anything you want to talk to in terms of the male perspective of a person who grew up in the church. I'm super curious whatever you want to share. Uh, so one thing that like definitely comes to mind. So I absolutely love listening to the podcast of you talking with other ladies about y'all's experience in the church, mm-hmm. because for me, I never realized it or thought about it that way. And like, mm-hmm. you know, my girlfriend, she, she also grew up in the church and she's told me a lot about her experience and how much she hates it and what it's done to her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, this is interesting. And so like, it's actually kind of funny because so like listening to your podcast and then talking to a lot of my other female friends who also grew up in the church, all of you have had like the same experiences. Mm-hmm. And personally, it pisses me off. Yeah. Because I I don't get it. <laughs> like, like I really don't. It's like somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, you look nice. The answer is, oh, thank you. It, you know, and if you see somebody wearing a nice dress or something and, you know, oh, it's strapless. Oh, cool. You know, it's walk up. Hey, you're, you look nice. Great. You don't say, hey, let me talk to you in my office. Either wear this giant jacket or go home. It's the like, trench coat of shame yeah the trench coat of shame perfect and i was like i was like wait no i've, I've okay. seen this happen so many times and i never thought anything of it mm-hmm. because because you know me being a young teenage boy i was like oh she really cute and, and then like oh she's wearing a big jacket now sad face you know and that's it <laughs> but like it didn't change that they're cute it didn't change anything in my mind it's just mm-hmm. oh well I, I don't get to admire her in a cute outfit anymore okay she's still cute though move on with life yeah but i didn't realize how that affected my own like perception of women because mm. for example you were told as a woman you have mm-hmm. to cover up you cannot show shoulders you cannot show anything provocative if you show even the slightest amount of cleavage shame on you you are a harlot and you're going to hell jesus can't save you uh-huh. and it's like okay um one that's wildly inaccurate and incorrect and two are we thinking about what that actually did to the psyche of the young boys who hear that as well? Mm-hmm. Because perfect example, when you look at the idea of rape culture, it is a young man 
does something to a woman and the young man is believed, the young woman is not. Right. Right. Or, or the young man is empowered of, oh, well, you know, he's on the football team and he did that to her, but it's just an allegation. So he still gets to play because he's a star football player. Mm-hmm. We're going to brush it off our shoulders. We're going to ignore it. We're going to move on. Right. It's like, but that's the church was empowering that because now it was saying, Hey, it's not your fault as a boy. If you look at that girl like that, because she dressed that way. And if you have that subliminally taught to you over and over again of it is her responsibility to cover up, it is her responsibility to not tempt you. Then that just breathed in me. It's never my fault if I rape her. Hmm. And it's like, that's problematic thinking. Uh, Mm -hmm. excuse me. (laughs) Like, no, absolutely. I'm over here. Like, like I punched a dude in the face, uh, because he raped one of my friends. Like I, Mm. I, I decked his face so hard that I think I broke his jaw in one place and also, uh, his cheekbone. Good for you. Like I, I could, yeah, no, the dude was on the ground and then he did not get up while I was still there. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's how I feel about that. And I didn't realize that you know, in my relationships, I had been projecting that if me and you were doing something and you're telling me to stop, but I'm not exactly stopping, it's not my fault. Mm. Yeah. I started to realize, I started to realize that I apologized to one girl that I was with. Cause I was like, I'm so sorry. I just realized that I'm going too far and you don't want me to. And like mm. she, to me and she was super shocked and surprised. She's like, I mean, I just wasn't ready, but like, I did want to be with you. So it was okay. And I was like, yeah, but like, that's not okay. You told me no, and I should have stopped at the time, and I didn't. And it wasn't until I could tell you were truly visually upset that I stopped. Mm. And I was like, "That's not okay." And uh, you know, so like me and her, we we have a pretty good friendship now, actually, because we've talked and we've both grown. But it's like I didn't realize that that's what the church was kind of inbreeding in me was -hmm. the idea that it's not my fault. Yeah. Was it ever? um, Was the language ever used for you that? Uh, that men are hardwired to be sexual, like, cause that was a big thing taught in my church was that you are hardwired oh, man. to, to think this way and there's nothing you can do about it. You have to try and control it, but it's really hard. That's why the ladies have to help with their, uh, that, how, did you hear that? Yes. I heard that on top of also men are just more horny. Men are just more Mm -hmm. sexually driven. We're more sexually active. You know, that's like, because whenever our heart rate increases, the adrenaline increases, it increases the blood flow to our genitalia, which is what causes us to literally stop thinking with the correct head. And that's, (laughs) you know, and like they preach that all the time and it's like, but, but, uh, what? Right. (laughs) Cause it's been my interaction. Every female I've talked to, like I've been in a relationship or anything with all of them are always more sexually driven than me. And I'm like, well, okay. So the church has lied to me on that front. <laughs> massively. Yeah. Cause that's a big part of purity culture is that the woman is not, it's not our job to be sexual. It's the men's job to be sexual. It's our job to yeah. be nurturing and caring and kind and gentle and blah, 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 blah. We're not supposed and, to be sexual. And don't forget, and don't forget, it's your job to be pretty and available for childbirth. Exactly. Because <laughs> we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. The man goes out and tills the field. The woman takes care of the house and the man will come back and have kids. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Love that. 
Yeah. So that, that was a big message preached to you too, then that it's your mm-hmm. like, men's job to be the provider, to be the, the worker, all of that mm-hmm. jazz, gender roles, yada, yada. Um, yeah. yeah. How, how did that affect you going into like college and relationships and things like that? Was it something you felt a lot of like burden for, or did you kind of say, no, fuck that. That's not me. Like, how was that kind of mindset for you? Well, so I guess that mindset mainly set in on the idea that I, I'm still bad about it now, but I blame the fact that, uh, my dad is just a very generous person. I don't let mm. people pay for me. Mm. If I take you out, I pay for it. Mm-hmm. I, I pay for us to get food. I pay for us to go enjoy desserts. I pay for us to, you know, go have a good time. And, and that's, you know, part of that definitely came from the church saying the idea of like, well, you're the man you have to provide. And then, uh, another part of it comes from my dad itself because my dad is just a very generous man. Mm. Um, like we would go out to eat my family and like some close family friends or relatives and whatnot. And my dad would just pay for everybody Yeah, and he would just do this randomly. And so uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm okay with it and I'm grateful for it because I don't view it as it's my responsibility to pay for you. It's my responsibility to provide. I view Mm -hmm. it as it's my gift to provide for you. I know you can, but Mm -hmm. this is one way that I want to be generous to you. And I think that that came from my dad. So I I got pretty lucky on that mindset. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. The, yeah, that's a huge shift in mindset that I think a lot of people um, could use is that like, Mm -hmm instead of thinking, Oh no, I like, I should pay for all these people. It's I can. So I will kind of, kind of thought yeah. process. That's great. I love that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just, I love that you immediately brought up, um, you know, as a guy, you, that rape culture is so like, it's really, and it's very much so like, informed and fed by and, and so subliminal mm, mm-hmm. like it's it's so under the radar that that you know i never picked up on it until i was hearing these stories from all my female friends saying well it was my responsibility to make sure that a dude didn't look at me that way mm-hmm. and then i was thinking about like how i've interacted with different girls and relationships i've been in and everything and i'm like oh my god i mm-hmm. kind of did blame them for that i i never accepted to blame myself of like mm what was going on in the situations and how they looked and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, that's not fair of me. Right. Right. And I, I still have conversations with, um, with some men that are in my life. Like if we'll be like out at dinner or something, um, it, and it, they've gotten better for sure, but we'd be out at dinner and we might see, a woman who is dressed in like a short skirt and like a crop top or something. And, um, and she looks amazing, but you know, some, like I might point out the person and be like, wow, look at her outfit. She looks really cute. Or like, wow, she looks great. Or I love her skirt, you know, something. And mm-hmm. one of, one of the guys I'd be with would be like, well, she's clearly, you know, she's clearly hoping that something mm-hmm. will happen tonight. And I'm like, Time out. <laughs> you don't know that. Maybe she just wanted yeah. to wear it. Like maybe she just likes it. Like don't say that. <laughs> Stop it. And I yeah. like and it took for a while I would get kind of angry 
whenever they'd say stuff like that. Cause it's like, no, stop it. This is why <laughs> this is the issue. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, you know what, the more I deconstructed, um, church teachings and church trainings and the subliminal messaging that they, that we as women are taught that you as men are taught, like subliminally and just out, you know, up front that men are more sexual and women are not like all of that shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know what? I can't be completely angry with you for saying shit like that. Just don't just be aware of it and try not to do it again. Like just, yeah, just try and try and shift it, try and change it because it's, it's not something that it's something we're all figuring out because not just even people who didn't grow up in the church, purity culture seeps into American society as well. It's not just within the church. Um, So even people who aren't Christian or didn't grow up going to church, they still got that subliminal messaging through media, through TV, through magazines, through um, radio shows, whatever the hell you want to say, like it's, it's everywhere. So I find that to be very, very intriguing. It's also, it's kind of intriguing. If you look at like police reports, Whenever they're reporting rape cases, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that, if I'm not mistaken, almost all police reports were included in it is what she was wearing. Mm. Really? And it's like, it's like, well, why? Now, this right. may not be true anymore. I know this was true for a bit because, uh, you know, like with my previous friend who I punched the dude's face. Um, <laughs> Like she told me about it and she's like, they kept asking me what I was wearing and at what I was doing and all this other stuff. And she's like, and it didn't make sense because I was just trying to tell them what had happened and I wanted them to stop him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, she was very upset by it. And I was like, yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Right. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess it makes sense if you're trying to make sure that you're able to identify her from a camera feed and like, oh, mm-hmm. you were wearing a blue sweater. Uh, right. That's all you really need to know to find her. But mm-hmm. they're like, well, you were wearing a skirt too, or this or that, or, and mm. it's like, okay, this seems like a lot more details and like, it kind of makes sense, but I think you just mainly need the colors that way you can find her. Cause you see, right. she's got long auburn hair with red tips and a blue sweater on. Like it's, there aren't many people yeah. who go around with that right. style, right? Like, yeah, that is incredibly intriguing. I did not know that. Um, yeah. Now again, I don't know if this is still accurate or not. Sure. I don't, sure. But I know that that was the experience that she was having. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's certainly something to look into if, um, if anyone's curious about that, uh, if that's still mm-hmm. a thing, obviously go find out the internet is a wonderful tool. Um, Very true. so, <laughs> so that's definitely, yeah, certainly interesting. Um, yeah. So what was the main, like, if you can think of a, of a catalyst moment, if was there, cause you said you've more, you've more recently started to kind of deconstruct Christianity. And if you still want to identify as that and whatnot, mm-hmm. what was there kind of a defining moment where you were like, I need to dig into this a little deeper, or would you say it kind of just kind of happened over time? Uh, it was kind of both. Okay. Um, so so I would say there is definitely one moment that comes to mind that was a very clear, concise, like I started researching and looking into Christianity as a whole a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was 
at Baylor. The two like Christian classes as a transfer I had to take were Christian mm-hmm. scriptures and Christian heritage. Christian Ooh. scriptures, simple class where it's like, hey, we're going to break down, you know, the words and the verses and we're going to break down the idea of the Bible and mm-hmm. why it was written and the purpose of it, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, um, this is interesting, but at the same point in time, there's a lot of stuff being missed because we're not talking about the different translations that King John had created. We're not talking about how Paul actually made up most of the words that he used whenever he wrote in Greek. We're not talking yeah. about how Latin has changed from what it was back then, just like Hebrew and so on and so forth. Like why mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that we're not taking into account for this, but all right, cool. And like, I was aware of that because again, like I grew up in the church, like my parents very involved in the church. Uh, mm-hmm. they were youth pastors for a time. My dad, uh, still like will speak on occasion. Both of them are very involved in the church they're going to now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, that was all right, cool. But then the Christian heritage class is the one that made me really want to delve into Christianity mm-hmm. because it's like, Hey, look, we started at these people and then they decided they should be Catholics. And then from there, there were people who disagreed with the Catholics and they became Catholics, but the Eastern Catholics. So now we have the Eastern and the Western Catholics. And then people disagreed with both of those Catholics and they became the Protestants. And then the Protestants had disagreements within themselves. And so then we got the Quakers and we got this mm-hmm. and we got that. And and then you look at Christianity and it just becomes this massive spider web of mm-hmm. uh, like the best way to think about it. It's a piece of glass. That one person hit at the top and it just cracked all the way down Mm. and it just turned into so many different branches. So, you know, you walk through Houston, you can pass Joel Osteen's church and it's like, all right, it's a Protestant church. Great. He's non-denominational, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, two blocks later, it's a Catholic church and two blocks later, it's a Baptist church. Two blocks later, it's a Methodist church. Then you got Lutheran, you got all of these different Episcopal, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, why it's like what what do do they all agree on anything and it's like well you know jesus was sent by god like all right does that mean that jesus is the son of god well he was the son of man no he was the son of god oh, mary was holy no she wasn't she was just a whore and yeah and it's like you look at all these different churches and how they just kept splitting and arguing with each other it's like no for a religion that preaches love community and wholeness and unity they're not doing that yeah uh and so that was probably the tipping point where i started to truly look into uh all the different branches of christianity and everything like that and started looking at other religions as well Mm -hmm. um and then you know whenever you come to the realization it's like oh well christmas was actually just a holiday we stole from the pagans all right neat um halloween is another uh, pagan holiday that actually was just kind of taken by society in response to Christians. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving is nothing more than America's way of saying, hey, we're going to be thankful because we killed hundreds of thousands of Indians after this. And Genocide. we forced them into concentration camps called reservations, Whee. but we don't call them that. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like you, you just look at how Christianity doing mm-hmm. this amazing things. We came and we brought the word of God and and Quakers and, and, and wholeness and unity in America and one nation under God. But, but don't tell anybody that we don't mean the Christian God. We just mean God in general, but one nation <laughs> under God and everybody will interpret it as the Christian God because 
Yeah. <laughs> because we used English and the English word we use is God. <laughs> exactly. And it's yeah. like, well, just all these things. And so I started, you know, fully delving into it. And I realized like Christianity is closer to a hodgepodge of all other religions, which have more dense and more culturally appropriate histories. Mm-hmm. And Christianity is nothing more than a perfect offshoot from the Jewish religion from uh, Judaism. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, all right. So we're using that God. Why aren't we calling him what his name is then? Right. It's like, oh, well, that's because we only interpret it as God, but he's actually called Yahweh or Yahweh Ni or, mm-hmm. you know, Elohim or so on and so forth. Like there's 500 different names because when you look at the Jewish religion, they're like, we can't give God a name right. because it's too holy. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. And so they called him Yahweh, which is I am that I am, meaning I exist. I am everything. And yet I am nothing all at the same time because I am that I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we decided to take that and we decided that one person who we said is Jesus is now the prophet, the Messiah. He preached, he did miracles, he died and he is our salvation. Then how come the church can't agree? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I hear you. The thing with me is that, or from my understanding is that all of the different denominations all say that they agree. Like, yeah, God, Jesus, those are the things like we like Jesus, we like God. And then to your point, like how they kind of define Jesus teeters a little bit. And then it gets into just like sacraments and covenants like do we believe in speaking in tongues do we believe in Mm -hmm. exorcism do we believe in baptism do we believe in communion like just these small things that ultimately shouldn't matter Mm -hmm. um to your to your point like it's it seems so silly to me that all of these denominations split over such small things like actions or like sacraments i i feel like a perfect way to describe the church is you have a big family that mm-hmm. is living in one house together. They all have their own separate rooms and then they all have community rooms. The community rooms are the things they agree on. So they have the living room, which is God. Great. Everyone agrees on God, the living room. Mm-hmm. There are couches in there, maybe a TV, very simple setup, uh, you know, a dining room table with some chairs. There we sure. go. Right. The living room, dining room, just put them, both together, that is God, right? And then you look at, oh, well, we have a secondary room. It's kind of like an office game room, and we're going to call that Jesus. And depending on how you're feeling that day, it's either the office or the game room. Can't be both, mm. right? And then you get to all of the different rooms where they're living, and each one of them disagrees with how the other one is living to such a point that the design of each room is drastically different, Mm. right? You walk into a Catholic room and it's like, Oh, they have the rosary. They have the pictures of the saints. They have, you know, an incense burning. And it's like, Mm. Oh, this is nice. It's peaceful. It's quaint. They have a low light. So that way it's comfortable and they're very welcoming. Anybody can come in, but then you get over to like, you know, a Baptist church and it's not that at all. It's like, there is maybe a guitar in the corner, maybe a piano. uh, And then you're going to have, pretty much nothing else. It's going to be pretty (laughs) bland, pretty basic. There's nothing else really going to be in the room. It's very simple, very structured. Uh, They keep it kind of tidy, but every once in a while they pile up their laundry in the corner. (laughs) Right. 
and that's kind of what Christianity happened and turned into. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, well, this is, uh, I mean, at least you're all in the same house, right? And then you have, you know, <laughs> Eastern Catholic, uh, oh, what is the, I can't actually think of the real name of it now. Essentially, the, the Catholic Church that broke off from the original Catholic Church and became mm-hmm. like the newer Protestant Catholic Church, but Orthodox. Mm-hmm. That's what they call themselves, Orthodox, Eastern Catholic Church, whatever. And then they're living in a separate house next door. <laughs> you just don't even want to be in there. Just they, they, they come back to use the living room and the dining room, but they, they live in the house next door. Mm, they have the guest <laughs> house. Like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's just... Uh, it's just kind of ridiculous how Christianity split so much over the smallest disagreements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it really does astound me. And it really, I find it very, again, I find it very intriguing being now in our, in our space of time and seeing how as a whole, like Catholic Protestant, Baptist, whatever uh, denomination you fall into, there is a, within all of it, there's a movement of people who are doing what you and I are are doing and what the majority of people who listen to this podcast are doing and saying like, hey, all of this like petty stuff and all of the shitty teachings and trainings that have been going on in the church for however long and the reasons you split in the first place, Mm -hmm. like all of that seems a little off seems a little weird and we all just want to go hang out in the living room so we're gonna go hang out in the living room and Mm -hmm. be together there and y'all can figure your shit out in your separate rooms we're gonna be in the living room (laughs) yeah Um, that's honestly kind of how uh the christian church is starting to form yeah and so actually on that point this is something really interesting that i've started to notice Hmm. uh so like based off of, I guess, some consensus that some churches were doing or something, some, someone somewhere was doing, they're discovering that most young people ages, like, I think they were saying like ages 20 to like 32. Mm-hmm. So definitely our generation yeah, leaving the church and they're leaving the church at exponential rates. It's almost like 60 to 80%, depending yeah. on the area have just left the church. And what I've heard a cl- a, a, like <laughs> I've heard this from my own parents, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe young people are leaving the churches. It's all college's fault. It's all that <laughs> liberal education's fault. I heard the same thing. Um, because I'm, yeah, I was a super, <laughs> I was super influential in my church youth group and all that jazz. I was being mentored by mm-hmm. the people who like ran the whole shit. And, um, and yeah, that was our senior year or the entirety of our senior year of high school. They were pounding it into our heads. Don't be part of the 80%. Don't be part of the 80%. Change it. Change that. Like, don't do it. Don't let college change you. You know, mm-hmm. don't let college influence you. You're going to be around a lot of new people with different beliefs, you know, stick true to you and find, they always said, find like-minded people, like find a church immediately so that you don't (laughs) 
so that you don't learn other things <laughs> the, that find a core group of good friends that can hold you accountable that yeah. that that rhetoric oh god that rhetoric yeah yeah they they yeah they're like find a church as soon as you get there like immediately find one like the, don't wait until the first like week classes like as soon as you move in find a church and i was just like walk, walk to the closest church that is the same denomination go yep yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was, yeah, that was the biggest struggle for me at Baylor was honestly finding a church because I'd grown oh. up in the same church my entire life. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's just like, oh, there's no place like home. But like, you know, every church I went to, I found something a little off about it where I was like, I don't really, I don't really gel with that. I don't really vibe there. I'll try another mm -hmm. one. Be like, mm. No, doesn't they don't really fit here? Like I every church I tried, it was like something's yep. not right. I don't know. I don't feel welcome, or I don't know, I don't fit in, or uh, I don't really speak in, I don't speak in tongues. And this person next to me is like speaking in tongues. So like I don't really feel like that's for me. It was a very yep. strange uh so that was kind of honestly the real starting point for me was when I got to college because it got me out of this bubble that I'd been living in my whole life, mm -hmm. which is what they wanted me not to do, but too bad. And then, and then adding on to that point too, like if you look at churches in college towns, Baylor mm -hmm. specifically, a lot of them, you know, they're the Protestant non-denominational. Right. They are, we are big, we are loud, we praise and worship a lot. We believe in all of the gifts of the spirit and, you know, we're very spiritual and, you know, we believe in the prophetic and we're going to speak that over your life and yada, yada, yada. And mm -hmm. And it's like, if you come from a Catholic church or even an Episcopal church, mm -hmm. Episcopal churches, they, and Catholic churches, they do calisthenics. They're up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down for 30 minutes, up, up, down, up, down, up, down, kneel, up, down, up, down. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, so this is a Catholic service. And like, if you, I don't know if you've ever been to an actual Catholic or an Episcopal service. I haven't, um, but I want to try sometime. <laughs> yeah. Like, so if you don't mind me asking, what denomination did you grow up with? non-denominational, but most, if you, if I had to pick one that we aligned with the most, it was Baptist. Okay. Uh, that's okay. That's actually how a good amount of non-denominational churches kind of flow anyways, is more in the yeah. Baptist or Methodist vein anyways. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no. So coming from that, going into a Catholic or an Episcopal church, you will be very confused and you will feel so incredibly out of your element, especially <laughs> whenever they come walking down the aisle, swinging the incense. And you're like, mm. but in my church and non-denominational, we don't use incense because for some reason that's always associated with like, you know, these, it's like the bad vibes It's associated mm -hmm. with dem demons and witchcraft and, and, and yeah. yada, yada, yada. And it's like, that's not actually how that works. Right. <laughs> you know, but it, it very much is, that's one thing that like definitely has set in all the time. I was just here. It's like, that's higher liberal education. And I'm like, the only thing liberal education did for us was it caused us to have to think. Yes. That's it. Exactly. When you, when you're in private school, public school, it doesn't matter. All of your years from, you know, K3, K4, preschool, kindergarten, whatever you got all the way up until your 12th grade year, you were taught, here's a book with information, memorize this information, regurgitate it on this paper for me later. So that way I can say that you have learned it. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, that's interesting. And then, you know, you get to college and your professor looks at you and says, all right, I need you to write me a paper. And I want you to convince me of something that I don't believe go. And you're like, uh, 
<laughs> I don't know how to do this. I just know how to regurgitate information. And then whenever you get a failing grade on that first paper, the professor's like, you just told me a bunch of stuff, but you didn't convince me of anything. Uh, I don't need you to regurgitate and I don't need you to paraphrase and just keep telling me what other people said. I need you to tell me something that is your opinion, that is your belief and mm-hmm. support it using other people who also believe the same thing and have been recognized for believing what they believe. Yeah. That's a lot. A concept. But no, it is a lot though, because as a as a very sheltered, like bubble Christian in my swanky ass city of Frisco, Texas growing up, you know, I got to Baylor and did the regurgitation method for a while mm-hmm. um until I got to like Jortner's classes. And um yeah. Which um, for people who don't, Baylor is our Baylor theater program. We take um, like theater history and masterworks. And uh, Jortner is the name of our professor for those classes. He I is love like, that, man. I love him so much. I hope he'll come on my podcast. I want him. I want to talk to him so bad. Um, <laughs> I'll start. But, I'll start sending him messages. We got yay, this. <laughs> yay! We'll just rally together. Come on, Jortner. Yes. <laughs> but the the reason we love him so much is because Jortner takes no shit, and he is one of those professors that is like, no, I don't. You know, when you read a play or when you read a book or when you read an excerpt. I don't want you to tell me what they said in that excerpt. I want you to tell me what that means to you, how that relates to society, how it Mm -hmm. relates to, you know, how it relates to the time in which this was written. Like, tell me something about it. That's not just, oh, they said and did this and that was funny. Like, and, and that was really when it was that like that laid the foundation for me to really start critically thinking about stuff. Mm -hmm. And then my senior year at Baylor, I took, because I was attempting to get a religion minor, which I technically did. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I took a class called Jesus and the Gospels. And that class specifically. Ooh, I heard about was, that class. Go ahead. It was such a good class. Um, that class went into deconstructing the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Christian Bible. And not only not, not just going through and being like, okay, so this is what they said, and that was a cool thing, and this is what was happening at the time. It was like, okay, let's see how Matthew and Luke are drastically different from one another. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see how Mark and John say completely different things about Jesus's interactions. And I was mm-hmm. like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> there are discrepancies. There are there are misconceptions. There are contradictions hang on and that that was where I was like okay now we need to actually like think long and hard about some of this stuff because um I'd never been taught in that way before like we need to take the scriptures and look at what they say and literally be like that's different why is that Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like you can do that just from literally the beginning of the bible genesis chapter one genesis chapter two we did that's like they're they're very similar but Mm -hmm. there are so many small things that are just not exactly the same yeah and it's like okay well this is a little bit weird and probably one of the most interesting things that i've heard or no actually i read it recently not recently it was probably about a year ago because quarantine happened and i was just reading things because i was bored um but there was a guy who was breaking down um 
Christianity and Christianity's hatred of evolution. Mm. And, and he literally, he broke it down to a extent and he was just like, look, I just want to ask this one simple question. And if there's any Christian out there who can prove that what I'm saying is true or false, I will take back everything after this. Mm. How long is a day at the beginning of the Bible? Mm-hmm. How long? How long is is it? Twenty four hours, right. or is it a hundred years? Is it a thousand years? Do we know? We don't. We, we have do no way of proving how long a day was at the beginning of the Bible, which is the beginning of all time. So, in those first seven days of creation, can you truly prove that that was just twenty four hours every single time? Right. If you can't, how can you say evolution is incorrect? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the evolutionary patterns, the idea of evolution and what genetics is showing us is that in the beginning, there was nothing, mainly probably just water. And eventually something acted upon it that caused heat and caused discrepancies and caused different molecules to form and bond together in different ways, which caused life. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, was for the word was God and God was with the word and God saw the word and you know, blah, 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 blah. Darkness moved <laughs> upon the face of the deep, all that. And then God said, let there be light. And now there is light. There is a first instance of something happening and this light caused changes in everything. So that mm-hmm. means that now we have a source of heat, which is necessary for life to progress based off of our observations of it. And we have water everywhere. That's it. We don't have anything else. So we have heat and water, water, which is usually just a giant melting pot of different organisms, minerals, so on and so forth. So if you look at that and that first day could be the first day that organisms started to truly form and microorganisms and so on and so forth formed in the water. Mm -hmm. Then you move on through all the different days of creation and, you know, you get the sun, the moon, the stars, you get the plants, you get the land, you get the animals, and it takes all the way until the sixth day for humanity to show up. Right. Based off the evolutionary pattern, we are the last thing that could have evolved. Mm-hmm. Hence why we are the top of the food chain. Our intelligence is higher. We're able to train and manipulate other animals and literally dominate anything that we set our minds to dominate, which was, you know, the first task given to us by God in the Bible. He mm-hmm. said, go out and have dominion over the plants, you know, over the fields, over the animals, over the seas and the air. We've created giant metal birds and we kill things that try and fly into it now because (laughs) our giant metal birds are literally dominating the air. Yeah. There is no eagle in the sky that can kill our giant metal birds. That is true. Like, (laughs) so you break all this down. It's like, well, technically we're doing that. And so there's nothing to prove that those first seven days, God's creation, he didn't do it in a natural organized method that Mm -hmm. evolution proves could be the reason yeah but christians are like no evolution's fake we didn't come from monkeys god just breathed us out of his mouth right while that is possible what's to say that he didn't also breathe us out in a way that we would grow and become a perfect form adjusted to the society and the environment that we were put in Mm -hmm. and god made that part of his plan as well just to show how excellent he is that he could do it from literally something that is unrelated right but yeah. anyways, that's that's a whole other rant in and of itself of Christianity <laughs> and and Darwinism. Yeah. Oh yeah, which will absolutely have to be an episode on this podcast, I think, because I think that's a vastly interesting conversation. Um, so much fun to have. I love yeah. that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
After I read that article, I read like another 15 articles all relating to Darwinism and Christianity. And I was just like, I have wasted like five days right now. I need to. No, you have not. You have learned. (laughs) That is not a waste. (laughs) Good good way of looking at it. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Oh, man. JD, this conversation has been amazing. We hit on so many amazing points. And your perspective on all of them is so wonderful and enlightening and insightful. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just really glad that we were able to like, first of all, catch up again and say yeah. hi. <laughs> and then second <laughs> of all, um, you know, get like, talk about these things. Um, I, I'm really, really excited to um, have people hear your perspective. Um, from being a male, the things you've learned growing up in church, growing up in private school and beyond. Um, It's just really cool. And I love that you are continuing to learn and continuing to ask questions and be open to receiving the answers or to finding the answers. And um, yeah, I'm just really glad you came on today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure. Babel fam, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Babel podcast. I am sending you a high five through the speakers. Receive it. And please don't forget to leave a review for us. It just helps get the podcast out to more people on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you listen. And also, please go and support us on Patreon or just check it out. You can also check us out on Instagram at The Babble Podcast. It's where our community tends to hang out the most. And we would love to see you there. We'll see you next week for another episode. And I love you so much. Bye.